Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no heart, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Granny Lindsay. Granny Lindsay. I'm yeah. rocking the coastal granny trend. If anybody's following along, it is my favorite thing. <laughs> uh, real quick announcement just for merch, and then we are into today's show. Sweet. Uh, amazing new Tall Man collection in store now, featuring a cool abstract depiction of a one-eyed creature. Looming over the forest as the sun sets. Very cool kind of new look that's going to be uh, featured in a lot of upcoming designs. Uh, available in a tee and pullover sweatshirt for those fall nights just around the corner, which is crazy. Uh, it is creepily gorgeous. <laughs> and you can head on over to badmagicmerch.com and check it out. And you can also get it on sale. Uh, we're having a Labor Day sale. How is it almost Labor Day already? I, can I say I'm excited? <laughs> the summer was something. Uh, starting September 2nd at noon Pacific time, lasting through September 5th at midnight, use code LABOR22. So just L-A-B-O-R-2-2 at checkout for 22% off everything in the store at badmagicmerge.com. Good job. And that's it. Great. Yeah. Hey, your teeth look really nice. Oh, well, thank you. Just came back from the dentist. Good job. <laughs> Checked out. I've been flossing. Like, I floss, like, constantly now just because I have, I was telling him, he's like, man, your gums, he's like, everything. He's like, you're our model the last couple of years, like, um, uh, patients. He tell you that, too? No. Oh. No, because I'm terrible about flossing. I don't know what it is. I hate to floss. Well. And most I, people do. I, yeah, I don't love it, but I have um, a gap on each side of my mouth mm -hmm. where, like, um, it's just big enough between a couple teeth. That every single meal food gets stuck, and if I don't get it out right away, then it gets my gum irritated. So now mm. I've just gotten in the habit of just flossing constantly. I know. I think that you've given me this problem. I don't know if any other long-term couples have this issue where it's like a problem that Dan has always had that I never had. Now I have. I'm like, how is that plausible? <laughs> I made your teeth separate. Yes, you made. <laughs> they have like tiny gaps, and I'm like, oh man. So then I have to floss. But it is that thing of like, if I have, let's say, something. Um, like a steak or yeah. a chicken, like whatever, where it's kind of 
more tough yeah and it gets in there and then i won't go and floss and i will spend 25 minutes using my tongue to try and get it out and looking like an idiot like <laughs> and then my tongue is raw so i should just Ugh. floss just floss, just so, floss. I, so i am not a model patient uh how many stories do you have today sexy lady oh hi i have two uh <laughs> both are really uh, very different very yeah. different uh, uh my first story one of your favorite things, clown. A okay. very creepy clown story. Good, Start, good. Starts with childhood and goes for many, many years. So it's it's a I want everyone to hang on to the bitter end of that story because the twist at the end is like, ooh, that is uncomfortable. Let's wait for the end on that one. Mm-hmm. And then my second story, all I'm gonna say is it's a nightmare situation come to life. I okay. it is very difficult to say much about it without giving it away. Okay. Uh, I have, and this will shock no one, I have two as well. Whoa! Uh, both haunted tales this week. A haunted hotel, followed by a haunted house. Hmm. Uh, and maybe one of them is a gigantic Darren tale, which we <gasps> haven't had in a while. I was like, my God. Okay, I'm excited for that. Uh, for my first story, we had to Hawaii and visit the uh, Moana, uh, Moana. Moana? There we go, Moana. Oh my God. Great. You know about Moana? Well, hello. Is that a Disney? It's a Disney movie and Monroe... Every day that I drove her to school, eighth grade, oh, yeah, Moana, we had to listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> it is like a joke with her friends. They hate that movie now because she beat it into them. <laughs> well, this we're going to visit the Moana Surfrider. It's a Waikiki Beach's first luxury resort. <laughs> I'm going to have to try really hard not to just be in a Disney movie. <laughs> uh, did a murder that occurred there lead to a haunting and a spirit that may have followed one of the hotel guests home? And then in my second story, we're going to head to Black Forest, Colorado to explore the two-decade-long alleged haunting of the Lee family. It is intense and also a real head-scratcher. Okay. Why anyone would tolerate uh, this level of activity for as long as they did uh, absolutely boggles my mind. Okay, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, a lot of setup for the first story. Plenty of time for you to settle in, show off this week's socks. Look how cute they are. A little, like, monster socks. Monsters! It almost reminds me of Monsters, Inc. Yeah, it does. They have that look to them. Yeah. There's like a one-eyed Mike guy. Yep. I don't really know if we have a Sully, but oh my God, so cute. <laughs> okay, let's get settled in. Okay. Um, to those of us that have been lucky enough to go, and many of us, uh, those lucky enough to live there, it's no surprise that there are countless incredible hotels and resorts scattered across the picturesque Hawaiian islands. It is magnificent. Uh, with some of them being decades old, it's no surprise also that stories abound of hauntings especially regarding Hawaii's oldest hotel, which has been around for over a century now. The, the Moana Surfrider, which opened in 1901, was the first luxury property along Waikiki Beach, beating the next luxury resort to open in the area, the Royal Hawaiian, by more than 25 years. The property was built in an Italian Renaissance style with a gleaming white facade, grand columns, and a distinctive por- uh, porticochet. Uh, when it first opened its doors on March 11th, 1901, it featured the best modern conveniences of the time. Telephones, private baths, the first electric-powered elevator in the territory. Subsequent tasteful renovations have brought the hotel into the modern era while maintaining its sense of historic grandeur. Today, guests can lounge in its well-manicured gardens or wander through the hotel's sprawling halls, which feel welcoming, light, and airy, in addition to maintaining its historic roots with dark wood features and historic prints lining the walls. The elegant appearance of the Moana Surfrider, so light and airy during the day, masks a dark secret the hotel harbors that gave birth to its most infamous spirit. On February 29, 1905, the untimely and suspicious death of Jane Stanford, co-founder of Stanford University, 
would taint the relaxing and comforting image of the Moana surf rider forever. Though most history books attribute Jane Stanford's death at 76 to heart failure, a closer look at the documents and drama surrounding her demise reveals a much more mysterious picture. The more you look into the facts, the more confusing this case becomes. The story begins on the evening of January 14, 1905, at her Knob Hill mansion in San Francisco. Jane Stanford drank a glass of Poland Spring mineral water from a bottle placed in her room, as it was every night by a household servant. Detecting a bitter taste, she immediately vomited, summoned her secretary and maid. They each tasted the water and agreed that it had a, quote, queer and bitter taste. It was sent to a pharmacy for analysis, and some weeks later, a shocking verdict was revealed. The Poland water had been poisoned with enough strychnine to have proved fatal in a matter of minutes had Jane not vomited the poison back up. Deeply troubled, Jane decided to set sail for Hawaii and recuperate, leaving on February 15, 1905. But whatever was out to get her in San Francisco would follow her to Hawaii. On the night of February 28th, before retiring to bed at the Moana Surfrider, Jane requested seltzer water, which her personal secretary, Bertha Burner, prepared. At 11.15 p.m., Jane Stanford woke her servants with cries of, I am so sick, run for the doctor, I have no control of my body, I think I've been poisoned again. Dr. Francis Howard Humphreys attempted to come to her rescue. By the time he arrived, Jane was clearly in anguish. As Humphreys tried to administer a solution of bromine and chloral hydrate, Jane Stanford exclaimed, My jaws are stiff. This is a horrible death to die. After exclaiming that she was dying, Jane then did exactly that. Her jaws clamped shut, her thighs opened widely, her feet twisted inwards, her fingers and thumbs clenched into tight fists, her head drew back, and she stopped drawing breath. Dr. Humphreys did everything he could to revive Jane, but there was no coming back from whatever had happened to her. He tried to administer an anemic to induce vomiting. He called Dr. Francis R. Day to hurry over with the stomach pump. He sent for his medical bag and for another colleague, Dr. Harry Vikers Murray, but none of that would be enough. An autopsy and an inquiry by a coroner's jury would follow. After reviewing the autopsy report and hearing three full days of testimony, a jury took only two minutes to reach its conclusion. Jane Lathrop Stanford came to her death from strychnine poisoning. Said strychnine, having been introduced into a bottle of bicarbonate of soda with felonious intent by some person or persons to this jury unknown. So she'd been given a glass of fatal poison again. The jury's quick decision was controversial, and to this day, no one knows who murdered Jane Stanford, though Stanford University President David Starr Jordan was the most popular suspect, as he and Stanford had a notoriously difficult relationship. But if he wanted to get rid of her, he may have failed because many report that Jane's spirit continues to live on in some sense in the Moana Surfrider Hotel. Guests and hotel staff alike have said they've seen her wandering the halls at night trying to find her room. And one person, who maybe looked a little too much like David Starr Jordan, would come to wonder if his luxury trip to Hawaii ended up making him the target of Jane Stanford's revenge. Time now for the tale of Right Ghost, Wrong Man. Eric had never been one uh, for vacations. But after he'd suffered a mild heart attack, well, he insisted it was mild, but no one else in his social circle seemed to agree, his sister demanded he get some R&R. Just take a couple days off, she said. The work will still be there when you get back, right? Yeah, I don't know, Eric said, sitting in his office. He was an attorney, a pretty high-powered attorney who made a decent living in the Bay Area, and he'd never really understood the whole work-life balance debate. The way he saw it, he liked to work. He liked it so much that relaxing actually felt stressful. 
There was nothing better to him than putting in 14 hours a day, coming home, getting a good sleep after a warm meal and a quick wind down so he could get up and do it all over again the next day. He knew that other people, like his sister Monique, looked at him and saw a guy with no spouse and no family and assumed his life must be sad and empty. But he truly didn't want those things, had never wanted them. And to him, if he didn't want them, wasn't it better not to force himself to fit society's expectations and raise kids in an unhappy home out of some sense of obligation? His life felt full. He was happy. And what more was there to life than that? But now his minor heart attack, a couple months behind him, he had to admit that maybe Monique was right about something, like taking a vacation so he could recharge for work. Listen, my coworker's sister is the manager of this hotel in Honolulu, Monique said over the phone. She can get you a great deal because they had this cancellation. It's next week. I have tons of miles you could use to get your tickets. Eric knew that Monique, uh, Eric knew that Monique knew this wasn't really about the money. She was trying to spring it on him because she knew that with enough planning, he'd find a way to cancel. I don't know, Mo, he said. I just can't pack up and sure you can, Monique said, ever the free spirit. You have a condo, just throw some stuff in a suitcase and lock it up. You'll be back in five days, no biggie. That's not that simple, he replied, feeling like there were kids fighting in the back of their parents' car again. Then Monique started arguing and Eric started arguing back, neither of them listening to each other until, would it kill you to take a vacation, Monique finally said. Then there was a pause. Sorry, she added. Bad joke. Eric sighed. Even though he didn't want to take the trip, he didn't want this to be his relationship with his sister, his only living family member. He didn't want their relationship to become about him and his work habits and how they were unhealthy to her. Maybe if he took the trip, she'd stop nagging him, he thought. Fine, he said, I'll go, but I'm not going to be happy about it. You're the only person I know that could be unhappy in a literal paradise, Monique said, and she promised to arrange the tickets. That was how Eric found himself touching down in Hawaii a few days later, armed with his carry-on suitcase and a guidebook that mentioned several destinations he ought to check out. As his taxi pulled up to the uh, Moana Surfrider Surfrider Hotel, Eric's jaw dropped. It was beautiful, and it sat right on the beach. After paying the taxi driver, he made his way to the edge of the beach where the ocean sprawled out beneath him. A few tourists were nearby taking photos, but it was mostly empty because it was the off-season, and he gasped. The ocean was so vast here. The water went on and on, spraying water that cast a picturesque rainbow as the sunlight hit it. But as beautiful as it was, Eric also felt troubled. It seemed alluring. Eric had heard about the French concept of la pelle de vide, the call of the void, To die here, he suddenly thought, would be right. The thought occurred to him out of nowhere, like it wasn't even his own brain thinking it. Why had he thought that? Was it his recent brush with death? Or had he even thought it at all? He looked around to see if someone had spoken it out loud, maybe some poet-type guy who was just spouting off and his eyes caught a glimmer of motion in an upstairs window of the old hotel. That's weird, he thought. Maybe it was someone cleaning or something. He'd read on the website that the top floors of the hotel were currently closed for renovations. Eric tried not to think about it. He checked into the hotel, went up to his room, put away his suitcase, and tried to enjoy himself. He spent the next few hours getting a massage. His sister had scheduled it for him, walking along the beach, taking a dip in the pool, before finishing the day off with a nice dinner and a glass of wine on the porch. But when it came time to go to bed, he found that the wall he shared with his neighbors must have been pretty thin, because he could hear everything. As they clomped around, yelled back and forth, turned on the TV louder than Eric would have ever thought possible, he felt his heart rate creep up. He knew he could go over there and say something, but he really didn't like the idea of his neighbors rolling their eyes at him behind closed doors, talking about the sad man alone in room 204. Time to grab his earplugs. Except that in his suitcase, the earplugs he'd sworn he packed, he always brought earplugs when he traveled. They were nowhere to be found. 
He sighed, resigning himself to the fact that he'd just have to go down to the front desk and ask for a pair. They wouldn't be as good as the ones he owned, but good enough for him to get some sleep. He found himself feeling annoyed that going to sleep felt like a hassle and what was supposed to be paradise. He tried not to think about how he'd feel more relaxed back home at work. He slipped on a pair of loafers, made his way down the hall, too frustrated at first to notice a strange sound. Pat, 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 pat. It sounded like footsteps. He turned around, but there was no one there. The hall stretched out empty and long before him. As he turned back, he thought he saw a glimpse of something in the corner of his vision, someone standing at the very end of the hall. But when he looked again, he saw that it was just a portrait hanging on the wall, a portrait of what seemed to be a very old woman. All of a sudden, he didn't feel like taking the elevator. He felt spooked. Maybe it was the footsteps. He'd sworn he'd heard them. Or that suddenly the hall seemed very, very quiet, much quieter than it had sounded from his room. He took the stairs two at a time and soon found himself in the lobby. Relieved, he spotted the concierge. Would you happen to have an extra pair of earplugs? Eric asked, trying to sound like the professional man he was. Not some weirdo getting rattled by a few probably harmless sights and sounds at a luxury vacation resort. Of course. The concierge handed him a small plastic wrap package of earplugs. Will that be all, sir? And then Eric got the chills. Was it just his imagination or was the concierge looking at something or someone directly over his shoulder? He searched the woman's face for an answer and didn't get one. Her eyes snapped back to his and she gave a stiff customer service looking smile. Sir? She prompted again. Yeah, uh, that'll be all, he said. Um, good night. The woman nodded and Eric turned and headed back for the stairs. He kept his head down, looking at his feet and the carpet in front of his feet, worried about catching a glimpse of something else that would spook him if he looked anywhere else. When he got to his floor, he finally looked around and he didn't recognize anything. Weird, he thought. He'd only gone up two flights back to the second floor. At least that's what he thought he'd done. But this didn't look at all like what he remembered. The downstairs area had been polished, clean, professional, but the wood under his feet now felt like it was somehow squishy, rotting. And there was a strange smell, too. Like a combination of wet dust and mold. And then there was the doorway at the end of the hall. It gave him the chills. The hinges were all rusted over, and there was a big crack in the wood, as though it had become rotted from moisture and heat. He knew that door hadn't been there before. He was seeing things. He was hallucinating. He should head back downstairs and have the concierge call for an ambulance. It must be something with his heart again, not sending enough blood and oxygen to his brain, perhaps. But instead of turning around, Eric started walking forward. He felt strangely compelled to walk down the hallway. He needed to know what was on the other side of that door. When he arrived in front of it, the doorknob made a low creak as he tried to turn it with little success. When the door finally opened after Eric twisted and then pushed as hard as he could, it opened with what he could only describe as a long, wet creak and then a cloud of dust, where did that come from, swam into the hall and directly into Eric's face. Coughing, he stepped forward and, and emerged on the other side of the threshold. It took his eyes some time to adjust, but once they did, he realized that he was on one of the upper floors, one of the floors that was allegedly being renovated and closed off to the general public. It looked exactly like it had in some old photos he'd seen of the hotel. Dark wood, extravagant furniture, except the furniture was now covered in old, dirty sheets. As he watched, one of the sheets over what looked like a couch grew darker, as though a stain were spreading. He wondered, how could dust gather so quickly? As soon as he had that thought, another thought, like the one that had popped into his head outside by the beach, answered, That is not dust. It was a thick, rust-colored liquid. Blood? He wondered. And then that same outside voice replied inside his head, That's right, David. Who is David? Eric wondered. Was someone actually talking to him or what? Hello? Eric called, hearing his own voice echo. Is anyone here? There was no response. 
but across the room a curtain fluttered. Frowning, Eric moved towards that window. Once he made his way to it and looked outside, his eyes fell to where he'd stood before, looking out at the ocean, and he gasped. Almost exactly where he had been standing before was a woman in some kind of vintage clothing, an older woman by the looks of it. And even though Eric hadn't seen more than a glimpse of the figure when he'd been looking up at the window, he knew somehow it was the same person. They'd effectively switched places. He banged on the window to get the woman's attention, wondering so many things. Who the hell was she? How the hell did she get down there without him seeing her? What was she doing up here earlier? She didn't seem to notice his banging. How could she not hear him? Finally, the woman turned around and looked up at him, but then disappeared. No, Eric yelled, no! It was impossible. She'd literally seemingly vanished before his eyes. He ran downstairs to try and find her. After making his way to the beginning of the hallway, Eric skidded to a stop across a thick layer of dust on the floor. He hadn't remembered closing any doors behind him after exiting the stairs, but a door at the beginning of the hallway was now closed. He banged on it with his fist, but it wouldn't budge. Had she trapped him somehow in here? Finally, he burst through the door, ran back down the stairs, soon found himself in the lobby again. The concierge looked up at him mildly, as though she wasn't confused by seeing him again. Need anything else, sir? A woman trapped me upstairs, Eric said, his voice ragged. She somehow, she, she somehow trapped me up there. I don't know her. She just disappeared. And instead of freaking out as Eric expected or looking at him like he was a crazy person, the concierge just gave him a tight-lipped shake of her head and said quietly, Please, sir, lower your voice. Are you listening to me? Eric couldn't lower his voice. Someone has been following me. She tried to trap me upstairs. The concierge blinked. And where did you see this? I mean, where were you? I was upstairs, Eric said in a rush, at least grateful that someone was listening to him. I was looking for my floor, and I got to the unrenovated area, the place filled with all the furniture and the sheets. The concierge shook her head. There is no unrenovated area of this hotel. All the renovations were completed weeks ago. Eric shook his head. That's impossible. I was just there. It's all dusty. There was these dirty sheets. Uh, the furniture oozing. Impossible. The attendant shook her head again, but Eric thought he saw some understanding light up behind the woman's eyes. Not impossible, Eric insisted. I think you know what I'm talking about. If you'll accompany me, the concierge said, I'll show you the upstairs. The concierge steered him into the elevator and waved her card over an electronic system. In an instant, they were moving up. You'll see it was all rotted and abandoned and all the furniture was dusty. The doors opened. Before them was a gleaming white hallway. No old furniture, no furniture covered in dirty sheets, not even a speck of dust on the floor. But, but I saw it, Eric said his mouth. I'm, I'm telling you, I saw it. And there was a woman outside. Maybe an overactive imagination, the concierge suggested. I'm guessing you flew a long ways to get here. Travel can take a lot out of a person. I'm sure you're exhausted. Are you telling me I don't know what I saw? Snapped Eric. For some reason, even though Eric knew that this woman wasn't in charge and was just doing her job, he felt anger flare up in his chest and below that, the cold burn of fear. What in the hell had just happened to him? Had the staircase taken him to some other part of the hotel, some forbidden part not accessible via the elevator? And now this woman was covering up for the hotel for some reason? Or did he hallucinate everything? Perhaps you'd like me to call our on-call doctor. The concierge stepped back into the elevator and Eric had no choice but to follow. He could prescribe you a light sleeping medication if you're suffering from jet lag. To hell with jet lag, Eric said. But he had to admit that the woman was right about something. He did feel like his heart was about to burst out of his chest. And seeing a doctor probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Plus, it would keep him out of his room where he'd be alone. Call the doctor, he said. He'll check me out and say nothing's wrong because I know what I saw. Of course, the concierge said. And if you and your mother want to wait in the lobby while he comes, we can have a tea service, Eric blinked and felt sick. Wait, wait, what'd you just say? My mother? Eric's mother had never been in his life. She'd left his and Monique's dad when Eric was a little kid, and for all he knew, she was living somewhere in the Northeast. Hadn't seen her in a good four decades. The woman shrugged, her eyes also fixed on a point behind Eric's shoulder. 
the woman who was next to you when you were outside earlier overlooking the beach. I saw you two out there. She was just behind you a moment ago. At Eric's look of horror, she added, or, or maybe your older sister? Mother-in-law? I didn't mean to presume. I merely thought she looked quite a bit older than you. I came here alone, Eric said, heart hammering his chest. I I'm still alone, he said as he spun around looking for this ghost woman. You know what, he added? Maybe she's called me a taxi. I'm going to grab my things. I'm going to be checking out immediately. As he stepped out of the lobby towards his room, he thought he felt someone slip their hand into his for just a second to give a tight, punishing squeeze, and he recoiled in terror. After quickly packing up his things and grabbing that taxi, Eric slept in another hotel by the airport that night and caught a flight home the next day. His sister was furious with him, but oh well, so much for vacation. It was anything but relaxing. And his life has been a little less relaxing ever since. He's now wondered for years if he brought something back with him from Hawaii or someone. He'd come alone, but had he left alone? Sometimes now he swears he feels a presence in the room with him in whatever room he happens to be in. Sometimes he swears he can see a dim figure in an old-looking dress watching him from the corner. After getting back home, he looked up the hotel and the stories connected with it and found out about Jane Stanford, and his stomach dropped when he saw one of her pictures. The image staring out at him from his computer looked exactly like the woman in the corner, like the woman he sometimes sees when he closes his eyes and tries to go to sleep. Sleep is a lot harder to come by now. He was worried about his health when he left for vacation. He's more worried now. Doing a little extra research, he found a picture of someone else connected with Jane who looked familiar. He realized he looks a lot like David Starr Jordan, the man suspected of poisoning Jane. He wonders if he's being haunted by the ghost of Jane and if she's haunting him because he looks like David. How do you convince a ghost they've made a mistake, that they've attached themselves to the wrong person and are haunting the wrong man? That is a great question. Mm -hmm. What would you do? Like, I guess I mean, see everybody you could, medium, priests, just anybody and everybody from like the uh, uh, world of paranormal believers from all different like walks, you know, until right. somebody just, I don't know, just keep trying everything until right. someone Try hopefully like figures something through. out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel as though you would need uh, somebody with some sort of, I don't even know if psychic abilities, but abilities to be in touch with the other side to say like, you got it wrong, honey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, that's a crazy uh, situation to find yourself in. I had never yeah. considered that. I know. It's, 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 it's a... Because you look like a lot of people. <laughs> right. It is a fascinating kind of predicament where, you know, sometimes with these spirits and hauntings and attachments, you know, people like, you know, they, you just got to encourage them to go to the light. So you got to let them know that it's not their home. Let them right. know that they're dead. Let them know that you live. There's all these like things. Right. Uh, and all those things are predicated on the belief that this entity has some kind of logical understanding of how things work. Mm -hmm. But people in life, living people don't always have a logical understanding. Often don't. Correct. You know, and you can't just like that old Ron White joke that we both love of you can't oh, fix stupid. You really can't. You also can't reason with crazy. And, and and what if some spirit that is attached to you is the spiritual equivalent of the living of living person mm -hmm, being mm -hmm. actually insane? Well, and if she, if Jane Stanford uh, really thinks that it was that guy. Mm -hmm, and just refuses to uh, accept that it's not. Right. Like if, it, if in life she mm -hmm. was under the assumption or working under the assumption that it was that guy. Right. And she died, died thinking he that. killed her. Yep. Then, yeah, there's... Yeah, I don't think you're going to have a debate yeah. with a ghost about, mm -hmm. uh, hey, it's not me. <laughs> a few pictures associated with this story. Uh, just a pic of the uh, Moana, Moana Surfrider Hotel in Waikiki. Oh, dang. Okay, do you know what that also looks like is um, the, Shutter, the Shutters Hotel in Santa Monica? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It is uh, a really pretty hotel. Yeah, this is this next picture is an aerial view, so you can see how it is right on the beach. There's kind of high rises that are more modern all around it, but I love that it's like the same as when it was built. Yeah, me and too. And just right there on the beach. I bet it's a million dollars a night to stay there. I bet it's super expensive. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> a photo from the hotel's early days from roughly a century ago. What if, what if right now somebody was listening and they're like, oh, I'm the manager of that hotel. I'll, I'll give you a free <laughs> week up. stay. Okay. Next one's a photo of Jane Stanford. Which I want to say, I did not know that Stanford University was founded by a woman. Co-founded, I, 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 her husband, maybe? I think so. I think okay, it was but, with her and her husband. I but think. still. Yeah, not, I didn't look further past her. The fact that it's not founded by two old white yeah. dudes mm -hmm. makes me really happy. <laughs> uh, and then this is a photo of that, you know, one-time president of the university, David Starr Jordan. See, you could be him. Oh my God, I could be, actually. Well, I think you and I both have this thing in common. Well, yeah. what, what do they say? There's only like six faces in the world so, or something? Something or 20. Yeah, whatever the number is. Yeah. Whatever the number is. But you and I both have very familiar faces. That's <laughs> yeah. why people say to me, well, I mean, I guess it's different for you because you're a public figure much more than I am. So people have been seeing your you, face. You remind me of your brother, my brother, cousin, friend. I have, mm -hmm. a, I have a friend who looks exactly like you. I get that. You look exactly like my brother. Yeah. Once once a day. It's yeah. like, oh my God, are you John's sister's brother's girlfriend? Yeah. Sure not. And now I've hit an age too where I'm like, Oh, you look exactly like my dad. Oh. So I've reached, I've reached uh, brother and friend and dad status. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> you do, in fact, look a lot like your own dad. I do, actually. Yeah. Um, any questions? M more pictures? Okay, nope. okay, okay. Um, that's it. Okay, well, one, mm -hmm. I wanted to know where Jane Stanford's husband was. So he must have died before her. I'm not sure. I didn't, I didn't look further into her how dare history. You? I know, how dare I? How dare you? And then also, hi, how come no one suspected the secretary? <laughs> well, that's, I, I wonder the uh, the personal attendant, that Bertha lady. Yeah. I'm like, she mixed the drink. But, and two times when Jane became <laughs> right. ill or thought she was, uh, right. one time she thought she was poisoned, another time that she was. did it. The same person was there. Right, exactly. It's like, was this just an era of like, we just didn't think women were smart enough to do those kinds of things, so she got away with it? Uh, it, it, that I, actually not, could be. That could be where it's like, I will say, historically, for violent, like murderous type crimes, um, women were were considered by many not capable of that. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's not in their nature, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, they're not smart enough, strong enough, brave enough, whatever. Yeah, not nefarious it, enough. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why, like, oh, what's her? Who is that? Uh, Irene Woolrick, is that right? Eileen Wernos. Yeah, that people were like shocked by mm -hmm. her because it, I we're think to cover her. Oh yeah! Did you watch that movie, Monster? Yeah, that Char Charlize Theron. Or yeah, yeah. Because like people were shocked when that case actually happened because they mm -hmm. didn't think they still didn't think women were really capable of that kind of behavior. Right, and and, and oftentimes that's why like Jodi Arias was a shocking crime. Yeah, you know, yeah. oftentimes like um, and this is you know true when women kill, it tends to be more like poisoning, mm -hmm. more like a, rather than like a shoot you in your face or strangle yeah, you. Yeah. Like it tends to be less violent that way. So when there is a violent murder, like uh, sure? women are often still not really suspected. Right. Um, yeah. But I, I thought the same. And I just thought too, like if I'm someone and she was older, you know, in her seventies when she died and very, you know, affluent and stuff. And so used to having people attend to her. Mm -hmm. But if I've just been poisoned, call me crazy. I'm going to mix my own fucking drinks for a while. I know. For someone so smart. Right, right. It's like, don't take a drink from anyone. Like, you open the, unseal the bottle yourself for a while. I know, I know. It someone just poisoned you. It is a funny thing that we blindly put trust in people mm -hmm. where I'm sure in retrospect, if Jane Stanford were here having this conversation with us, she'd be like, I know, what an idiot I right, was. Right, we all make mistakes, yeah. Right, right. And we all just have our blind spots in life. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or maybe that would 
she felt it would make her look weak or it would just, like right, there are right. so many like status things where it's like amongst her social group mm-hmm. like what is she crazy what uh, why would she pour why, her own water what? Ugh. Like a commoner. <laughs> I like that sound you make. Uh, I, I also wanted to make note of uh, the lawyer, the mm-hmm. real-time guy. I cannot remember his name. Eric. Eric, thank you. How difficult this must have been for him, being a lawyer and a very logical, methodical kind of person, mm-hmm. that trying to explain to somebody what was happening and feeling, I think it would make someone of his nature feel even more crazy than someone like you or I who's open to the paranormal, who is more creative and more fluid thinking. He is, if you're a lawyer, you are a person of structure, of systems and processes. And this must have made him nuts. So then coming home and still feeling like, I mean, Eric may die from a heart attack because <laughs> right. he just like the stress of like, ah, why, yeah. why is this happening? Like, this yeah. isn't logical. This doesn't make any sense. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Eric. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, blame it on your sister. Siblings, man. Uh, you ready to move away from Eric and go to another haunting that makes the one we just heard feel pretty tame? Oh, yeah. I'm stoked to hear about this new Darren. We head to Colorado right after today's mid-show sponsor break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's Dirty secret. Stir up a Tito's Dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. 
I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, creeps and peepers. Not much setup on this one. Go for it, bro. Going to walk you through a pretty dense uh, bunch of alleged paranormal encounters that occurred between 1991 and 2010. Off to the Black Forest we go. Uh, Black Forest is an unincorporated community of just over 13,000 residents near Colorado Springs, Colorado. The town derives its name from a dense cluster of large ponderosa pines that make up the majority of the surrounding forest. The area of and around uh, Black Forest was settled in the mid-1850s and served as one of the main sources of lumber for many towns and settlements in the West in the mid-19th century. At one point, over 1,000 lumberjacks and 700 teamsters, approximately, worked in the area. In 1990, Steve and Beth Lee, a married couple originally from Colorado, found their dream home in the woods of Black Forest. The large cabin they bought sits in the deepest part of the forest on a five-acre property. They were excited to move in with their two boys and begin a new, hopefully quiet chapter of their life in a peaceful community surrounded by nature, but only an hour or so from Denver and all the amenities a big city has to offer. Time now for the tale of the Black Forest haunting. The Lees rented the house for a year before they decided to buy it in 1991. They didn't learn until long after they'd bought it that the previous owner was convinced the house was haunted. This man later claimed he'd never told them that because he was afraid he'd be ridiculed. And perhaps that's the truth. Or perhaps he didn't say anything because he was desperate for a way out of a house that terrified him. And he left an unknowing family to deal with spirits he could never figure out how to make peace with. For the year that they'd rented the place, the Lees had lived peacefully in their new home. Nothing strange ever happened. Life was seemingly perfect. But soon after closing, they began to experience escalating poltergeist activity. The Lees started to hear odd and varied noises in the house on a regular basis. The sounds of rattling chains, loud orchestra music, footsteps all over the house began keeping them up at night. They also started to smell foul odors, like some sort of chemical smell that burned their eyes and noses. No matter how much they searched, they could never find the source of this terrible stench that would appear randomly out of nowhere and then disappear as mysteriously as it had showed up. The family also began witnessing strange flashing lights outside on some evenings, shining through the nearby trees towards their home. Like the odor, there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason associated with when these lights showed up or when they went away. Over the next several months, disturbances escalated in their frequency, variety, and intensity. Small electronic devices in the home started turning themselves on and off. Large appliances soon followed. Beth Lee later said in an interview, One day we came home and it was like the 4th of July in our living room and bedroom. We had all kinds of lights flashing through and it sounded like people stomping across the roof. We would lay in bed at night and hear chains rattling. One night we woke up and heard orchestra music. Strange things started happening every day. Not long after this uh, unwanted light show, the Lee's two boys told their parents they'd begun to see shadowy figures moving about in the woods that surrounded their home. Following these shadow people sightings, the boys woke up their parents to tell them that they'd just been woken up by flashing lights beaming into their room through their window, and that when they woke, they could see shadowy figures inside the room. (gasps) Beth later said about seeing some shadow person for herself in an interview, When we looked at it, it first kind of looked like a haze, 
And then it started taking shape. And it was like there was some kind of mountain trapper type person in a big wool cloak. The paranormal hotspots of the house seemed to be the wall next to the satellite dish, the living room, and Steve and Beth's bedroom. Before all this began, Steve Lee didn't even believe in the supernatural. Even shortly after all this activity first started, he was reluctant to blame what he was seeing and hearing on spirits or anything else of that ilk. Steve was convinced that someone was trying to intimidate he and his family out of their new home. Hoping it would get whoever was harassing him to stop, Steve purchased and installed an expensive high-tech security system. But this new security system didn't stop anything from happening. It didn't give Steve the solution he was hoping for. It did lead him to believe in the paranormal. Confirming his boy's stories of shadow people, the motion detectors kept going off. But the camera wouldn't capture any image of a physical person trying to break into the house. The camera did, however, capture images of orbs, beams of light, shadows, sometimes with human-like faces. Giving this haunting even more credibility, soon activity would be witnessed by people who were not members of the Lee family. John Tervarian and his brother were once sitting in the house for the Lees when they saw something strange. John would state, We caught something up on the roof. It shouldn't be there. Just a ball of light. It was mainly peculiar, uh, mainly particular to the master bedroom. Stephen Beth Lee will count 62 attempted break-ins over the next four years that'll set off their security system, but not once will they ever come across evidence of an actual person trying to enter the home. Oh my God. Nothing was ever stolen or damaged either. In 1993, the local sheriff's department opened an investigation, but never found any signs of criminal activity. In 1995, the Lees, desperate for help from the paranormal community, decided to reach out for answers to the paranormal TV show Sightings that ran on several different networks in the U.S. between 1991 and 1997. They hoped their crew could document some of the strange phenomena they've been dealing with for years now. The show's producers brought ghost hunters and a medium to their home. The sightings crew immediately detected paranormal energy in the house. Cameras were knocked off their tripods. Cameras and recording equipment constantly malfunctioned. Numerous crew members heard strange noises throughout the house. They also captured photographs of apparitions and floating faces in the 100-year-old mirror in the main bedroom. Psychic Echo Bodine said she could feel at least 20 spirits in the house and that the most powerful presence was a male spirit who claimed the house was his and had no interest in sharing it with the Lee family or anyone else. Echo said she could see a male spirit standing in front of her initiating contact. The spirit claimed responsibility for all the strange happenings and said he would continue causing problems because the house was his. Adding some validity to this crazy claim, the sightings team's thermal spectrograph picked up a hot spot on the roof, the exact spot where Echo said the spirit appeared to her. Echo believed the house contained some sort of rift in space and time, which allowed many spirits to move about freely in what she called a monumental level of activity. When she went into the main bedroom upstairs, she sensed it was full of spirits from the past and said, this is not a restful place. Most disturbing during the sightings investigation, Beth Lee and a sightings crew member both were temporarily possessed by a spirit during filming. Beth reported that something physically held her down at the dining room table. She felt cold and lightheaded while it was happening. Echo, who was sitting next to her at the table, said she felt a presence growing in the room while this occurred. After whatever was afflicting Beth relinquished its hold on her and she was able to move of her own accord again, she left the house and went outside. Right after she left, Sherry, a crew member, started crying, laid down on the floor. She complained of her chest, arms, and legs feeling numb and feeling like something was entering her body. Echo told her to repeat the phrase, I'm clear, I'm clear, I'm clear. Sherry was so distressed that all she could do was ask, why won't it go away? Why won't it go away? She didn't feel normal again until after she left the house. Despite witnessing so much paranormal terror, the sightings crew didn't help actually cleanse the house of any bad spirits. Two weeks after filming stopped and the crew left, Steve's head began swelling. 
A doctor found no bruise or injuries, bruising or injuries, that would cause such a thing. He was convinced a malevolent male spirit was behind his pain. Beth was now terrified the spirits were going to harm their children. She reached out to the sightings crew again for help, and six months later, the research team came back. And this time, they brought psychic Peter James, who said he felt a powerful energy in the house. He asked the evil identity or entity to identify itself and said he then immediately felt someone wrapping their arms around his legs, chilling him to the bone. And that chemical smell filled the air. He sensed the spirit behind this was a man named Howard. Steve and Beth were stunned. Howard was the name of a family friend who had died years before. Beth called the man her adopted grandfather, and she'd been his legal guardian for the last 10 years of his life. As they explained more about their friend's life, the chemical smell began to make sense. Howard's son, Howard Jr., had died of a drug overdose back in the 60s. They never knew Howard Jr. personally, but had heard many stories about him from his father. Howard's best friend was a pharmacist. He stole drugs for them to get high together, most likely provided the drugs that led to Howard's death. Peter James, the psychic, felt that Howard Jr. had somehow entered that rift in space-time on Lee's property because he wanted to contact his father. Howard's official cause of death was an overdose, but the medium said that Howard was convinced he was murdered. Why was he taking his rage out on the Lees, though? Perhaps because he couldn't find his dad's spirits, maybe just confused and angry, a troubled spirit attacking those who have never wronged him. It certainly wouldn't be the first time we've encountered a haunting like that. No one seems to know. Several psychics and paranormal investigators have visited the house over the years and have unanimously agreed that the deep woods of Black Forest, Colorado are an area where the border between this world and others is especially thin. They feel that Lee's house just happens to be built on the center of all this paranormal energy. And some think that the closet in the master bedroom is the location of the portal's door, so to speak, to these other worlds. After all this, the Lees, bewilderingly, continued to live in this home for many, many years. They'd finally put the home up for sale in 2010, nearly 20 years after the haunting began. Oh my god! And allegedly, a ton of terrifying and unexplained paranormal phenomena continued for the entire duration of the time they lived in the home. Doors opening and closing, appliances turning on and off, objects disappearing and reappearing at random, alarm clocks going off at all hours. Worst of all, shadowy figures, disembodied voices constantly seen and heard. Family members claim to witness red, yellow, and white orbs, full-on apparitions of an elderly woman, a little girl, an older man, even a flying dog. What? Supposedly, hundreds of different faces continue to be seen in Stephen Best's bedroom mirror. Why would Steve and Beth stay in the house for so long? Why not at least get rid of the awful mirror? Did the place have some kind of hold over them? Or are they some of the biggest Darrens we have ever come across in any of these stories thus far? That is so... Of course you said that about the mirror. I wrote that down. I was like, get rid of the fucking mirror. Let's let's start there. Let's start there. Also, like, really, we're counting on a TV crew to be the solution? Uh I mean, I understand, like, the first time. Like, you're desperate. You're grasping at straws. Weird that the sightings mm-hmm. crew didn't offer to help them cleanse the house or offer to help them find the resources to cleanse the house. Yeah. And also no attempt at ever cleansing the house. I know nothing's written in sources. Like d- you you didn't think to call a priest, a psychic, uh, a witch, a shaman, yeah. a fucking anything. You yeah. didn't even try and find some fucking sage, which I know <laughs> right, is right. like sacred to other religions. But like when you are yeah. desperate, you are desperate. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No one, no, no one. No holy has, water. No one has a uh, a lockdown on sage. If you want to use sage to cleanse your stuff, cleanse your stuff. Eey. I know that's controversial, Eey. but it, but it, that is my stance on it. Nobody, this cultural appropriation thing. It's like 
if you're if you're being haunted by something, I think it's a little ludicrous to be like, well, I'd like to try and get rid of it with this, but I better not. No, 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 no. I think that you misunderstand uh, the the argument. Yeah, because what has happened is that sage right has become it's like you could buy it like on this etsy shop or oh, you can walk right. into this coffee shop and it's like there's a palo santo stick and there's sage and there's this and there's that and it's there was like this whole sort of like thing on social media about yeah. basically like basic white bitch moms just being like and i'm gonna sage my house now and being flippant i don't know that they sure. were I, I i doubt that they were intending to be disrespectful but then when called out on it of like hey this is something very sacred to to a certain sect of people right. it would be really nice if you could at least like honor that or explain to people where to get it mm. um because people were just going and taking it it's so like there, so there's no stance against using it for like to cleanse your house for like spirits that you're aware of i think i'm, I'm sure it varies from person to person right and i can't speak for and, and, a group of people right. that i don't no, represent no. I'm or anything. Just speaking for the if someone is so like Hard, hardcore on that stance. They're like, nope, no, you don't need it for honey. That's, that's the person I don't care about offending. No, and I don't. I've never heard yeah. of anybody saying like, if you were seriously afflicted by something, yeah. and that was you were like, like to use it or not to use it. Yeah, I don't think anybody with a good heart forget about like yeah. your creed or your race or yeah, your beliefs. Absurd. I don't think that anybody who's a good person would hold it against you. <laughs> right. It's the that, that's that's like, it's the commercialization of it. Okay. Because I was going to say that other thing is like, uh, oh, if you're not Christian, you better not get a priest to like come to your house if you're having trouble. Right. It's like, get out of here. Get whoever you want. Right. Right. Desperate times call for desperate measures. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Yeah. Um. Whew. Couple photos. This first one: the Lee family cabin in Black Forest, Colorado. That was a beautiful cabin. Yeah. But really, I mean. If someone was like, oh, do you want to go to my hunting cabin or yeah. like go, well, you know, like, okay, cool. glamp it up? <laughs> right. That's really pretty. Um, this this next one is some some kind of mist maybe captured inside the cabin. I mean, I don't know. They said that this something would take shape sometimes and like human shapes. Okay. Or it's just sunlight filtering in. Mm-hmm. And then this this last one, faces captured uh, in the bedroom mirror. Okay. 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 Or Photoshopped. I mean, it's... <laughs> I don't know if I buy this one. Okay, well, I'm not looking at it's it. It's creepy. Because it's creepy enough that I don't care for it. Yeah. I mean, if those if those are not photoshopped, how scary would that be? Yeah, no. My, my I'm, take, I'm uncomfortable right now. My take on the Lee family, and there's very little information in sources. Um, there was other people from outside that would claim to see things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a good chance that there was a lot of, like, some paranormal activity. Yeah. As opposed to truly being afraid and just selling the fucking house, or at least getting rid of the mirror— to me, it felt like they they do that thing that sometimes people do where they lean into it and like want attention from it. Yeah. I don't get the feeling that they ever really wanted this to stop. I, I feel like they must have enjoyed the attention they got from this mm-hmm. because if they didn't, why not at least get rid of the mirror? Right. That, well, that's the easiest thing because you can make the argument like, what if they couldn't afford to sell the house? We've heard yeah. all those arguments before on the show and I know a lot of them are valid. Okay, like financially, you can afford to get rid of a fucking mirror because you don't need that mirror. Well, and I will say this about the like yeah. the financial devastation piece. Yeah. Like, you know, I grew up really fucking poor. Like, yeah. we lost our house in a foreclosure. Like, um, this is not right. like, oh, we couldn't afford to go out to eat. It's like, no, like, life was tough. Yeah. And I will say that my mom, being the person that she is, right. her kids and her family being her most important thing. Oh, yeah, she would have moved. She would have sold that house at a loss. Yeah. She would have moved us into an apartment. She would have yeah, moved yeah, us yeah. in with family. Like, I, and I understand that. You know, I'm not I'm not being heartless here. I'm just saying that it's like there are 
there are ways to yeah. to move beyond that. You know, it's like, yeah, like, are you going to take a loss? Might, might it fuck up the rest of your life? Yeah, but if your mental health yeah. is so severely affected by living in a haunt, truly <laughs> right, haunted right. place, what severely haunted? What's the the lesser yeah. of two evils in that situation? Yeah, either be. In a house where you can't rest, you don't feel well, like all, all these things that afflict you that make it difficult to live life, yeah. or you you struggle and scrape by financially, but your mental health is intact. Right, right. That, that's like a pretty and, realistic and, argument. And I wouldn't buy the financial end on this one, not that it was ever claimed, uh-huh. but I wouldn't buy it if it was because they bought the house in 1991 mm-hmm. and they sold it in 2010. Mm-hmm. The market crashed in 2008. 2000, like real estate market, mm-hmm, 2004, mm-hmm. five, because I lived through this and, mm-hmm. you know, surge, prices surge. If you had five acres in this, yeah, there it is definitely worth a lot more than when you bought it in 1991 in 2004, five, six, seven. So they right. could have sold it before they finally put it on the market. Right. If they were truly worried about uh, a haunting. Excuse me. I, I will say also. Or it, just huge, gigantic Darren's. Yeah, or like maybe they weren't actually afraid because yeah. I believe that there could be well, a contingency the, of people who like... The mom claimed fear, though. The mom claimed that she was afraid that this entity was going to harm the kids, uh, but then lived there for another 15 plus years. Right. So. Well, maybe everybody else wasn't afraid. Mm. Could, because I could, yeah. couldn't there also be a contingency of people out there who buy a house, move into an apartment, whatever, yeah. it's haunted, and then choose to stay, not because they're Darren's, but because they're fascinated by it, they're intrigued by it, oh, they yeah. want to get to the bottom of it, they kind of like it. They just never explicitly said that. Anything. I understand that. Yeah. I'm just you know, oh, yeah, yeah, trying absolutely. to throw out alternate options as to why one wouldn't move out. Right. I do not understand. <laughs> right, not that one. And like you said, at least get rid of the fucking mirror. Yeah. Take it in the backyard, smash it to smithereens, yeah. burn it, sell it. I, I, I don't think it would be fair or right to just like donate it somewhere. Yeah, but at least try and get rid of it. Yep. And since we haven't talked about this in a little while, if you're new to the show, um, we haven't explained what a Darren is for a little while. It's just, oh, it, yeah, it's just, job. it's just somebody who, uh, once paranormal activity begins and they are scared or worried about the paranormal activity, as opposed to doing something to help themselves, like move, uh, have some, uh, spiritual, you know, person cleanse the home in some fashion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get like a, a the house blessed exorcism, you know, you name it. Instead of doing that, like they just lean into it further. Mm-hmm. They just keep, living in the house unnecessarily year after year after year or uh, bring people in who rile the spirits up, but then don't actually try to heal anything. Or, you know, an example could be like, uh, you know, you bring some spirit by playing a Ouija board into your life that's wreaking havoc. And then you just keep using the Ouija board, you know, over and over. And, and uh, it's, just, it's like, like you're just asking for it. In that example, that's exactly where our Darren came from. It was a Ouija board. It was a Ouija board. Yeah. With this person like, oh my God. His these, name was Darren. Yeah, D- Darren, all, Darren. Yeah. All these crazy spirits or, you know, harming my life. And now I'm just going to keep playing this uh, with Ouija board and see what happens. I think he also like gave it to his niece and nephew to mm-hmm. play with yeah, or something. Yeah. A- after was like... he was like terrified of it and thought he brought something, then I think he gave it to his niece. Here and you then, go. You use it. <laughs> and then she claimed to <laughs> stir up stuff. And it's like, dude, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We haven't had any new characters in a while on this show. Like, GTFO and Darren, they came out really early, and yeah. they've held on. We've got Layla. She's our newest addition. Yeah. But it's funny how those things just kind of pop mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Can't force it. Maybe we'll find a new character with this uh, story. Clown story? This clown story that is so weird and uncomfortable. Like, it, oh, uh, Okay. What I was thinking about when I was putting it together was like, you know, when kids tell us stuff, yeah. kids say creepy ass shit. 
Yeah. Whether it's related to the paranormal or not, just the things that they say, you're like, okay, <laughs> right, weirdo. Uh, I was thinking about our niece, Eleanor. She mm -hmm. is so funny. She says the strangest things. Yeah. And out of context, like it, it could be totally taken as you could insert it into like a paranormal way, right? right. You're like, oh boy, what's she talking about now? Yep. Um, so if you have a kid who's like telling you tall tales, whatever, what do we always say? Like, oh, yeah. you've got a wild imagination. Oh, right. you're fine. Like at what point is it not, like at what point does it become concerning? You know, right. what, at what point are you like, oh, it's not, what are you doing over there? I had to check. Sorry, we don't normally record this time. I was trying to have you ignore that. I have to make sure our episode came out of the, of the other podcast. <laughs> oh. So I was trying to be very discreet. Wait, it's not but, at but all. I, did, I know, but I didn't talk to anybody before the show. And so um, I just needed to make sure that there wasn't uh, another problem like we've had recently with the- uh, Is everything all good? Distribution. Yeah, we're good. Okay, good. Do you want to? Uh, it's off. It's off. But that was it. Uh, yeah, I had to. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was trying to be. I was hoping you wouldn't draw attention to it. Well, well, no, because you were not following what I was saying anymore. I was. I was. Well, it didn't look like you were tracking. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, it was. It was. It was uh, work related and time sensitive. Fair enough. Fair enough. It happens as we. Yeah. As you guys know, we have multiple shows, and uh, because you guys have seen it happen on Scared to Death, we've been having some big problems with Pandora, mm -hmm. where it just it's like it's like stuck in some weird like black hole, and it just can't come out. So we it's Monday, and yeah. we're not normally recording now, so we just had to make sure that uh, time suck. Yeah. Made it to all its places. So the gathering this week, and so our yeah. normal recording schedule is kind of all over the place because of a lot of. Uh, uh, obligations we don't normally have on a recording yeah. week. Yeah, it's totally okay. Yeah, yeah, just making sure you're all good and all you good. feel uh, happy with that. So yeah, so it's like at what point do uh, um, you stop just like saying to your kids like, oh, it's your imagination. Or like if they have a um, an imaginary friend, we're never like freaked out by the imaginary friend. We're, I think as a parent, we're more annoyed like, oh, okay, I got to make a spot for Billy at the table again. Like, yeah. right? But when it goes beyond that, like what is the, what is the point of it's gone beyond that. Right, right. At what point are we worried? And so in this story, like, I just, I love this because where it ends up, it's like, oh shit, like, should this have been, a, should this have been addressed previously? Yeah, yeah, and It yeah. goes on pretty, pretty long and far. So this poor bastard. Oh my God. Oh, Brandon. Let's find out what's going on. Hey guys, long time listener, first time caller. Anyways, I've got a story to tell and I think you guys may want to hear it. It's a tad bit long. But you know how it goes. A little bit of personal history so this doesn't sound too crazy and all over the place. My parents got divorced when I was still an infant and I have no recollection of my mom and dad ever being together. As long as I can remember, it's always just been the three of us. My mom, myself, and my older brother. At the time, we lived in a cruddy little three-bedroom house behind a pizza hut in a kind of rundown area of town. We lived there until I was five when my mom went back to college. My earliest, my earliest living memory is of Babsy. I don't remember the first time I tried to ride a bike or what I got for my first birthday, but I do remember the first time I saw him, or rather, heard him. I don't know how old I was, but I was still sleeping in a crib, so I must have been very young. I don't remember much, just the fear, the constant, overwhelming fear. I had my hands pressed over my ears so tight I could hear my own heartbeat, and that scared me even more because I was too young to even know what that sound was. I thought the pounding in my ears was something coming to get me. And that's when I first remember hearing it. Slow and quiet, but definitely there. Laughing. My mom used to tuck me into my crib, which was in the room right across from hers, and I would lie there for a while in the dark until I heard it. It always started the same, with the laughing. 
and that's when I knew he was there. He would be outside my window every night. He was a clown, and his name was Babsy. He was bald, with a white face and a big red nose, and the largest smile you can imagine. Seriously, ear to ear, with bright red lips. I remember vividly that smile and his huge teeth, little tufts of orange hair poking out from over his ears, almost like a living cartoon or a toy that had come to life. And he would tell me stories. Now you have to understand, I was just a toddler, and to me that window may as well have been a TV screen. I didn't know any better. I would just sit and watch and listen. Sometimes he would do magic tricks or play with balloons. Other times he would talk to me. I don't remember about what, and I don't ever really remember his mouth moving. His expression never changed, always that smile, and I could just hear him. Clear as day. And I must have talked back, or whatever a kid that young does, because my mom would come into my room to check on me and tell me to go to sleep. He made no attempt to hide from her, but she never saw him either. And that's just how it was. I don't know if this happened every single night, but I remember it happening a lot. And as I got older... So did Babsy. Gradually, the little tufts of hair got to be more sparse and faded, and his yellowed teeth almost looked like bleached old wood. The weirdest part is that I remember his face. It started to crack and peel, like old paint almost, like pieces of it were chipping away little by little. It is worth noting that I never really felt threatened by him, with the exception of that first time. Even when he started to decay, whenever I heard him laughing, I was happy because I knew it meant I was about to see my friend Babsy. I never told my mom about him, and for some reason, I never really felt like I needed to. The last time I saw him was that night before my first day of kindergarten. He looked very bad. I think one of his eyes was missing. He talked slower than he ever had before and didn't say much. That night, I went to sleep after he left, and that was it. He was gone. I always chalked it up to some kind of imaginary friend or something. Now, full disclosure, Now, full disclosure here, as I got older, I grew more and more interested in horror. Anything morbid, macabre, creepy, spooky, etc., I loved it. I now make a living as a special effects artist, and I work at a very successful effects studio, making all sorts of monsters, costumes, masks, the what-have-yous. We supply for films, stage stage shows, haunted attractions, and and so on. You get the idea. I run the studio with one other person, and we've become great friends. I also became no stranger to telling this story because I always thought it was kind of cool and spooky. And I love a good ghost story as much as anyone. So whenever the topic would come up with friends or peers, I would tell this story. And it never really scared me because like I said, I wasn't scared of Babsy. Hell, I didn't even develop a fear of clowns after all that. But here's where it gets really weird. I'm now 26 and the buddy I work with has been away for the past two weeks visiting family. So it's just been me in the studio by myself handling the workload. On Monday, I heard a knock on the door. We get people from time to time from supply companies who come by to check out the facility and try to get us to start buying supplies from them and such, so I thought nothing of it. I went to the door and opened it. No one was there. Again, thought nothing of this. In our line of work, it's not like we're easily spooked. I thought maybe one of the cats we keep around was messing around outside with something and maybe it had bumped into the door. It happens sometimes. I closed the door and started walking back to my workstation. No more than three steps away from the door and I hear a loud boom, 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 knocking at the door. This one, much more forceful, like someone literally beating on the door. I immediately spun around and swung the door open with a quickness because it startled me. 
Nothing. No one. No cat. No car. Other than mine. Nothing. Just sunshine and birds chirping. But something on the doormat. A clown mask. An old, decayed, wooden (laughs) clown mask. Big red nose. Aged, bleached, orange hair on the sides. And that smile. A smile I'd never forget. And then it hit me. That's why his face always looked like that. That's why his mouth never moved and his expression never changed. He was wearing a mask. This mask. Now it occurred to me that I am in a certain line of work where people I know who've heard me tell the story (laughs) could have made this mask just to fuck with me. Okay, sure. But how could anyone have known what Babsy looked like other than me to this specific degree? And moreover... The studio is on a secluded piece of land with a long driveway. No one could have put that mask there and then left that quickly without them seeing me when I opened the door. It's surreal. I cannot believe this. And I don't know how to even feel about it. What does this mean? Was Babsy real? I don't know. But I do know that this mask is real. I held it in my hands. I smelled the wood. Felt the bristly orange hair. I've never been scared of him before. But I am now. Every single moment of silence I have is shared with an overwhelming sense of dread, of angst. I spent the last two nights lying awake, waiting to hear the laughing. Brandon. <laughs> That's a good one, Brandon. Brandon uh, addressed immediately like the, the main thing I had. Because uh-huh. right after I heard that, I'm like, well, yeah, you've been telling the story to people. Uh-huh. And they're in the special effects world. Uh-huh. And if I was one of those people, I would definitely, you know, especially my 20s, I'd be like, we have to get him. We have to sneak right. this. But uh, I'm glad he added the detail of the long driveway mm-hmm. where he would see somebody leaving or coming mm-hmm. because there was noises, right? That, that drew his attention to that. Yeah. So he would, so, uh, so. They must have just been there if it was somebody planting it right. to make the noises too, in addition to the mask. Right, right, So I'm glad, right. I'm glad he addressed. Yeah, sorry, movement. In the oh no, no, yeah, I saw it out the corner of my eye, and I got really. Woo. I'm glad he addressed a lot of uh, potential problems with the story mm-hmm. right after revealing that detail. Yeah, yeah, because absolutely, it's like okay, if you were going to play that joke on somebody and you were going to throw that mask down, but then bang on the door because you need right because you're not to just draw gonna, attention, right? Because you're not going to wait for Brandon to finish his workday. Like, how long are you going to sit there and wait? And even still, if you did that. Well, yeah, you want to see his reaction. That's the fun of it. Right. And even still, if you were going to wait for him to finish his work day, mm. you would be in somewhere somewhere in which Brandon could see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can see him, he can see you, is what I'm gathering right. the way that this property is. Right. So that's not plausible. And I'm, and I'm glad he also added those details of like, yeah, you tell people the story of like, you know, this clown and like give some like basic details. Mm-hmm. But to have the face line up exactly <sighs> with like what he had been imagining all those years. That's really creepy. Uh huh. And not even so much what he's been imagining, but what he absolutely saw as a child. Right, 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 right. Exactly. What yeah. He's, yeah. What he's been uh, witnessing. Right. Because it's like you know, I could tell you that I found a shirt that I really want you to wear that I love, and I could yeah. explain it in great detail and tell you to go to the store and find it just based on those details, and you could come back with something completely different because what I think is blue, what you think is blue, what is this kind of pattern, what is that kind of pattern. So, like, for someone to recreate exactly what's in his brain is virtually impossible. Yeah, yeah, true. So is it a real person? No idea what's so, happening with that story. I mean, I wouldn't say, no, it wouldn't be a real person because that that plays into the, he would notice someone coming up the driveway. He would notice somebody leaving. So the, I, I would say the odds oh, of that God. are low. I'm just so uncomfortable because it's definitely, because he says like, you know, after all these years, I realized now that when I was a child, Babsy was wearing a mask. Right. Right. So it's like, I, I just had this sort of like true crime element kind of go off in my head of like, has someone been stalking him his whole life? 
I don't know. That's scarier than a ghost. I know. That's why <laughs> yeah. the story upset me so yeah, much. Yeah. I'm like, oh, buddy. I'm sure. And now he's wondering that too, right? I mean, he alludes right. to that. Like, is Babsy real? Like, what the fudge is going on? I like how you said fudge and when you said fudge. Yeah, I don't know why. Early. <laughs> Just what? came out. What the frick, you guys? What the frick frack? Um, I don't know. Who knows what's going on there? Scary, whatever it is. Isn't that really weird and uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good detail at the end. Yeah. Ah, Brandon, we would love an update. Because also, like, uh, yeah. I don't know really when he sent in this email. Right. Because I don't put the the dates. Uh, so, Brandon, if you're still listening, if something has happened, even even if it was, in fact, a friend playing a joke on you, like mm-hmm. somehow they got on the roof, they dropped the mask down, they banged yeah. on the door, and the reason you couldn't see them was because they climbed back up on the roof. Like, <laughs> right. I don't care how extreme. I would love an update. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if somebody got it, man, they they uh, kudos to them. I know. Pulling off a really good prank. Punked, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Okay, are you ready for one more? Mm-hmm. It's very much impossible to lay this out uh, to give any preview or anything without really kind of giving it away. It's yeah. a very bizarre story. Possibly, I don't know, maybe demonic possession, maybe some spirits. It's, it's a very weird story. So okay. I think I'm just going to dive right in if you're okay with that. Okay. I just started to listen to your podcast, and it's actually the first podcast I've ever listened to. I work in a machine shop at night, and it's just me and one other person. That other person is the one who recommended the podcast to me after he realized I enjoyed anything involving ghosts and demons. Now, I'm not religious, but I was made to go to church until I was 18. My dad was a pastor for roughly 40 years. My brother is a pastor, and my sisters both married pastors. Wow. That's a lot of religion. Yeah, yeah. This all started with a reoccurring nightmare when I was roughly between 11 and 13. It was almost nightly, and I still have this nightmare occasionally in my 20s, but only once every couple of months or so. In the nightmare, I wake up in church. Most of the congregation is sleeping. I awaken to a shadow figure arguing with my dad as he gives a sermon. Everyone else in the church remains asleep while the argument goes on. After they argue back and forth, the shadow person, which I've always felt was a demon, turns to me and lets out a scream, and that's when I wake up. There have been multiple nights where, as I wake up from that nightmare, I feel something tugging at my legs. Eventually, when I was a child, I brought this up to my parents, not thinking much of it, but they seem oddly bothered by it. I'd never heard my parents talk about demons before, so I assumed they'd just shrug it off. They proceeded to tell me a story that I still don't have any recollection of from when I was seven. It was 1999, a couple days after the Columbine shooting. Hmm. My dad had decided to hold a 24-hour prayer meeting for the families of the shooting. Basically, the church would be open for 24 hours, and people could come and go as they pleased. Of course, my family was there the entire 24 hours. Me, being seven, I ended up going underneath a church pew and going to sleep. The next part is from my dad's perspective. While I was sleeping, a man came into the church. My dad said the man looked mentally unstable. He was a middle-aged African man with worn clothes. The man fell on his face in the middle of the aisle and then proceeded to slither like a snake in an unnatural way up to my dad at the pulpit. The man spoke in tongues and multiple other languages and was laughing in my dad's face and spitting on him. My dad told everyone in the church that if they were not a child of God, they should leave. More people than he expected in that moment left. The remainder then began to pray and some even laid hands on the man. 
my dad asked the man what his name was and he turned, stared right at my mom and said, William Underhill, which is my name. My mom had forgotten I was asleep under the pew and had sent the rest of my siblings out of the church when the man had come in. She quickly grabbed me and ran out of the church. Shortly after, the man lost consciousness and when he woke up, it was discovered that he was a Haitian immigrant that spoke zero English. Fast forward to 2011. I was in the army and I had come home on leave. I was staying with my parents at their house and was woken up to my dad bursting into my room telling me to come downstairs. A family friend who was a priest was sitting in our kitchen visibly nervous. He drove to us in the middle of the night because he felt that we were in some kind of danger. As he had come around the back of our house to the kitchen door, he saw a dark figure looking through a window. It looked at him and then quickly vanished. Turns out, it was looking directly in my window as I had slept. His description was eerily similar to what I would see in my dreams. Needless to say, I didn't sleep that night and then spent the rest of my leave at my brother's house. Then in 2016, when I was out of the army, I was cleaning floors with my brother for a second job. One night, we were sent to a hospital to strip and wax the floors. We found out that we were going to be working in the mental ward. Both my brother and I were a little bit nervous, but also kind of excited. <laughs> it was a late night, and all the patients were in their rooms. As we went down the halls, a couple would chime in with our conversations, mostly trying to be friendly in a weird kind of creepy way. My heart dropped when I heard a man from a room call me by my name, telling me to come over to him. Now, most people would assume that he just heard my brother calling me by my name and would make the connection. But for as long as I can remember, I've gone by Mike my middle name, not my first name, William, as the man had said. Very few people even know my first name is William. Neither my brother nor I wanted to go to the man's door, even though no one in the ward was considered violent. Eventually, my brother went to get a nurse at the end of the hall to see if she could come and calm the patient down. As I waited for my brother to come back with the nurse, I saw the man come up to the little window in his door. I could see he was an older African man. He kept telling me to come here. He also threw a couple insults at me and laughed at me, talking about my weight and how I was mopping floors. But when my brother returned with the nurse, the man was suddenly asleep. She told us that the man was an immigrant and barely spoke any English. She didn't have to say Haitian, but she didn't say he was Haitian, but she didn't have to. My brother and I knew in our guts that this was more than just a coincidence. We lied to the hospital staff, told them our machine was suddenly malfunctioning, and we GTFO'd as fast as possible. That's a crazy story. Like, who who is this guy following following him around or showing up at various points in his life? I don't know. Like, the, like the first introduction, um, I was like, did I miss part of the story where he said this was a dream? Because I'm like, what is happening? Like, with the congregation? Yeah. And people leaving? Yeah. And then his mom grabbing him and running out? I'm like, is this... I was waiting for, like, that... Uh, I was like, I must have missed her saying it was a dream. And then I was waiting for the story to be like... And then I, and then I woke up. And shared the stream with my family. Right. I'm like, oh, nothing. And then this, and then this person possessed by something maybe shows up a few other points in his life. Isn't that like that really would scare creepy? the shit out of me? If I kept seeing some guy that I first saw as a little kid who suddenly knew my name when they shouldn't have known my name, mm -hmm. should, you know, like especially in that setting mm -hmm. and, and, and the way he came in the building, and then I saw that person like again a few more times. I mean, that would freak me out. I would be, I would be obsessed with theology. Yeah, I, I would be reading like books of various religions thoroughly. I, I would be an expert in demonology, trying to figure out like what is happening. I, I totally agree. When I was putting this episode together, 
I didn't even realize how connected I felt these two stories were, how similar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the first story. Being followed over the years. Yeah, like, you know, Babsy showing mm-hmm. up as a child, like, you're afraid of him, you're not afraid of him, you're not sure. Like, it is it just an imaginary friend? And then later in life, like, this, this mask shows up that leads you to believe that, like, this thing has been with you or following you your whole life. And then the same thing with this story, which, by the way, this guy's name is not actually William Underhill. He oh, okay. he yeah, changed he his name it. for the purpose of the story because is, he's so freaked out by this. <sighs> doesn't want this guy He doesn't want anybody knowing his real name. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, with his dad being a pastor and, like, it just could be a little... Yeah, sure. Um, but how insane. So, so, so he starts that he would have a reoccurring nightmare, but then it was like the nightmare came to life. So you, you, that's, I think maybe that's yeah. where when you were saying like, I feel like I missed something because right. he says he would have this nightmare that he would be sleeping, that something would come right. into the church. And it was when he shared this na- nightmare with his parents. So I think it's almost like a repressed memory, this nightmare that huh. he had, because, because this did happen when he was seven, where like what right, he's nightmaring right. about the did happen. The scene in the church, yeah, occurred in real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To some degree. And so it's like, okay, so your subconscious has held on to that. I mean. That's, that's like what we work through in therapy, mm-hmm. right? Like that's why therapy can be so helpful because we can uncover these things in our subconscious that we have buried deeply. Yeah. It's also the trouble with therapy, right? Where if a bad therapist will convince you that something happened to you that didn't yeah, happen, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. That's the crux of it. Yep. But then like this is just so crazy to go on and on and on yeah. and on. And just specifically like – the story uh, about him coming home from military and like spending the night at his parents' house in 2016, that's not what did me in. It's the very first yeah. encounter and then going to this mental ward and that person knowing his first and last name. Yeah. Come on. Yep. That's wild. Yeah. Not cool. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. <interesting. laughs> nice. I thought we did really good on that episode without wild, cool, and interesting. Yeah. I was making an effort. I almost said interesting, and then I changed it to fascinating at mm-hmm. one point. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I know we've gotten a lot of emails of words, and I'm like, guys, <laughs> we, we do, in fact, know other words. That's funny. That's, <laughs> I love that. I know. They're like, you could try this. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know. We're trying. I write down. Uh, I love it. I will write, like, in all caps at the top of one of my scripts, yeah. like, other words, and I still yeah. just default. It's pretty funny. Old habits. Yep. Die hard. Okay. Well. Should we get into the shout-out portion of the show? Yeah, who's doing them first? You could go first. Okay. Okay. I would like to thank the following Annabelles for helping us on Patreon. Uh, donate to charities every month and, yeah, pay for staffing and so many other things. We appreciate it so much. Uh, Alexander Stevens, Kayla Randazzo, Christy Poshkevich. Sorry, it's probably Randazzo. Randazzo. Uh, you yeah. know Randazzo? I sure do. Really? Uh-huh. Never seen that name before. Oh, okay. Kayla well, Randazzo. If you live in Parma, Ohio, I probably and if if this is not a common last name, I probably went to homecoming with your cousin or your brother <laughs> freshman year and Funny. your aunt worked for Clinique. Okay? There you go. Uh Christy, yeah, Poshkovich, uh Mouse and Moo 2016. And I love one of the no. Just I know. N-O. Pretty no. funny. Uh Kim Cakes, Danielle O'Neill, Joseph Weisenberger. Probably Weisenberger, uh, Sandra Marquez. <laughs> okay, bird with a big cat butt. <laughs> I just imagine a very thin person with like a nice juicy <laughs> ah, butt. Tyler Trons, Trones, uh, Fritz and Freya Creo, Kenzie Riley, Abby Vaden, Angeline Copeland, Cameron King, Hell J uh, Gimete, Nandrew Graham, April Demoss, Moon Mommy. I love that. Randall McNabb, Yoli Poli, Jen the Genie, 
Teresa Leffler Bortolini, and May Sky. You got really good names this week. I think I'm yeah, jealous. Yeah, a lot of cool names. I would like to thank the following Patreon uh, subscribers for supporting us. And I don't know, maybe one of you works at the Moana Hotel, okay? Like, hook hook a sister up. Uh, Sarah Bass, Heather Krebs, Spartan767, Rochelle, Patty Phillips, Tyler Badgley Danica, Anaya Warren, Sean Morris, Jonna Chappelle, Kylie Hamill, Acacia Clark, Chris Benton, Brianna Henderson, Sadie Lundy, Sierra Compton, Charles Montgomery. Sounds like a lawyer's name. <laughs> yeah. Hunter Petty, Jordan Norris, Anagail Willich, Amanda Gartner, Marsapan S., Willa Van Arsdell, Shayna Henderson, Chris Lincoln, and Mara. And then I have the following spooky shout outs. This is so cute. Okay. To Jack, Jana, and Jenny. From your mom, we all might be miles apart, but when we listen, we're together. That's so cute. That is so cute. Uh, to Luz from Luke, I love you. You are the light of my life in the spooky darkness. To Seth from Dallas, you are the peanut butter to my jelly. I love you. To Marabella from your son, David, happy birthday. And to Hallis from your mom, Michaela, I love you. Oh, that's so sweet. You're and, the Mac to my cheese. I know. I saw that. You're the Mac to my cheese. And then uh, you said Spartan in there. So I just want to uh, give a shout out to Kate Keith. I know. Wife of the art warlock, Logan Keith, for completing her first Spartan race in she, Seattle this past weekend as, as of when we record this. This is so fucking crazy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who does those kinds of things, Kate was telling me that um, you can do like a Spartan trifecta. So she did the biggest one. It's like... Mm. 13 miles, 13 fucking and, miles and of running and obstacles. Roughly 20 obstacles, something like that. I, you know, Bunch I, of obstacles. Oh, a, a very difficult thing. Like if you know, you know, like this yeah. thing is hard. Like if you've ever even been around a somebody race. or a, been a member of a gym that promotes these, it's like, you yeah. know what we're talking about. So then she said like, you get a medal for finishing it and it's one third of a bigger medal. So she's going to do two more fucking Spartan cool. races back to back. Nice. Same weekend. Wow. So that she can get the trifecta. I'm like, you've got to be. Go, go get it. I know. I know. If you want like a really inspiring story about like Kate says, you know, like I'll just get teary. I think about it. She just says like, you can do hard things. Yeah. Go follow her on social media. Just go like peek because her story of like having three kids, yeah. losing herself to that, which is a very common story for mm -hmm. women. Being married to Logan's which stressful. Which is a fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you get it yeah. uh, but you know she like gained the weight of having kids or whatever and she's yeah. always been this very athletic very beautiful woman and she just like lost herself in it which yeah. happens to so many people she has lost at this point I'm gonna say she's probably tipped over losing 60 pounds she is inching closer to being smaller than me she came to the studio the other day I was like what the fuck is happening right now so muscled up I know she looks so good always beautiful but <laughs> yeah. like it's just so inspiring so if yeah. you need a little jolt of inspiration, go find Kate Keith on social media. Aww. And actually, I know her social. It's Hey, It's Kate Keith. I know. It's really cute. Mm -hmm. you, it, hey, It's Kate Keith. Hey, It's Logan Keith. They're, They're pretty, the cutest couple. They're cute. Uh, that is our show. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, his work on social media, and to uh, Logan again, running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for once again finding today's first story. And Olivia Lee again found the second. 
Uh, thanks to Logan for producing and directing today. Zach Cohen. We'll get our mystery producer. Running, excuse me. Oh, my. Running these sometimes as well here soon. Uh, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. And to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing the listener stories now for book number four next year. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but have no home here within scared to death. Mad Magic Productions. Lemon, lime, and a drop of cherry make a simple Shirley. But what happens when Tito's handmade vodka reveals this sweet sipper's dirty secret? Stir up a Tito's dirty Sherlock and crack the case with Tito's at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.